Welcome to the XR Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Diana Olenik, and on this show, we dive into the cutting-edge worlds of XR, Web3, and artificial intelligence with the brightest minds in the industry, bringing you exclusive insights and game-changing conversations that will revolutionize your understanding of the future. Today, we're going to be speaking with Alex Fink. He spent 15 years of his life making perception systems, like with cameras, computer vision. And at some point, it was down on him that the world does not need more cameras. In fact, he says that we seem to be producing more information than ever, but we're making less and less sense of it. That's how he started thinking about this concept of sense making. Why are we so bad at it? Why do we seem to be getting worse at it and what will happen if things keep getting worse? So it became evident that the biggest problem facing humanity right now is that we are all consuming, as he called it, junk. He says that we can't make sense of junk, we can't base good decisions on junk, and we can't extract useful information from a steaming heap of junk without spending an inordinate amount of time and effort. That's why he decided to devote the next few decades of his life to the monumental task of riding the world of junk. And he is urging anyone who shares this vision to join him in his quest. Alex is the founder and CEO of The Other Web, a web and mobile platform that allows its readers to read news and commentary listen to podcasts, and search the web without paywalls, clickbait, ads, autoplaying videos, affiliate links, or any other junk, as he call it. I'm super, super excited to begin this episode. I think that this is beneficial, especially for us in the XR world, or speaking about these topics of AI or Web3, because Potentially, these ways, as we are managing everything related with content and information, is going to pass to these new immersive technologies. So that's why this topic is so relevant for us. I can't wait to begin. Let's do it. Thank you so much, Alex, for being here today. We're super excited. Please let us know a little bit about your background. So I started off as an engineer, and for something like 15 years, I worked on perception systems, cameras, computer vision, that sort of thing. And at some point, I had this epiphany that I think the world doesn't need more cameras. In fact, it seems like we're producing enormous amounts of data, but what most of us are consuming at the end of each day is mostly junk. And so that's how I ended up in this niche of trying to clean up the Internet, trying to remove the junk. Wow, that sounds super interesting. It's actually fascinating to learn about your transition from working on perception systems to focusing on something that you mentioned in your materials that is called sense making. Mm -hmm. I wonder how your experience with cameras actually, what is the transition that happened from cameras that connects to now your philosophy? And if you can expand a little bit on the term of sense making. So in general, it seems like at least if you look at the world of data as it is created by technology, right? So you have data. Once you make some sense of it or some order in the data, you can call it information. And once you verify it in some way, you can call that knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. It seems to me like in the world right now, 
we are really good at producing data. Um, we are okay at turning information into knowledge. We have the scientific method, et cetera. Where we are really broken as a society is in making sense of data to turn it into information and in looking at information just to verify whether it's true or not or whether it is even laid out in a form that could be called information. Maybe it's just random noise. Right. So I wanted to focus on information because it seems like that is the layer that is broken right now. And we are just failing to make sense of it. We are failing to even distinguish things that are worth paying attention to from things that are just completely random noise. And there's this example that I like to use, which is occasionally I open Google News and I see articles with titles like stop what you're doing and watch this elephant play with bubbles. Right. And that's an article from CNN in the news section. And I started collecting these horrible examples of things that are supposed to be news, but obviously aren't. Um, they're entertaining, but it's really sad as a society that this is what the news looks like right now. Um, and so news is just one example of information being broken, but it's the most obvious one. Wow, that's super, super, yeah, deep, because I'm pretty sure not many of us have a stop to think if this is the way that it is supposed to be. Most of us just accept this because this is what is in our devices, in the systems that we are dealing with every day. And we seem like we are not empowered actually to change these type of things. What do you think that are, are actual things that we could do ourselves to um, help with this, help ourselves? Well, so there's two levels of this. The first level is helping ourselves. We just need to develop our own routines to filter things out, right? choose where we consume information, how we select what we consume, maybe introduce some third-party tools to try to filter out what we are consuming. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, it shouldn't just be limited to how do we select what we consume on a particular platform, right? The first question we can ask is, should we spend this much time on a particular platform? Maybe if we want to spend two hours a day consuming information, some of it should be books. Some of it should be talking to our neighbors, right? It doesn't have to be all TikTok and Instagram and YouTube all the time. Um, but even once we're there, the question is, okay, how do we select the content that we are consuming online? There needs to be some conscious planning in this. Otherwise, the company that runs the platform we're on is going to select for us. And their incentives are pretty different from our incentives. Typically, every one of these platforms is developed to maximize our time on site and our engagement. Right. But your goal is not to spend as much time as possible on Instagram. Right. Mm -hmm. Your goal is to get as much value as possible in as little time as possible. And so clearly your goals are not aligned with any platform goals. Right. Um, so yeah, unless you plan it, if you let that algorithm de decide what you see next, the algorithm is going to be really good at maximizing your time on site, which is not what you want. Um, the other part of the question. Uh, is can we not just help ourselves, but when, can we help the entire ecosystem somehow? Like, can we create an incentive for creators to create better content, mm -hmm. for social media to show us the best content available and not the ones that we are just most likely to click on? And it seems to me like for this to happen, many of us need to start filtering junk out because if many different users filter junk out, that creates a disincentive for creators to create junk. They know that people will not actually see it if users are going to filter it out. And so we want to create tools for as many people as possible. The platform that I'm working on right now, the other web, we have about 1.5 million users right now and we're growing. 
But obviously, that is still not big enough to make a dent, right? We need hundreds of millions of users to really create an incentive for CNN to stop writing about elephants blowing bubbles. Yeah, this this becomes like a movement. It becomes, of course, even more than just pure philosophy. In the practical, we can see how this really benefits everybody. I am curious about what we are seeing right now is a huge flow, overflow, actually, of information or junk, as you call it, impacting our capacity maybe to understand or even interpret reality. Because this podcast is about XR and this question, I guess, an answer maybe is even for both fields, it fits. It is actually this, you'd see like in the future, this would impact, continue to impact our understanding of reality. Or how do you see this happening in the field of our perception of the world? So I think in the short run, it is probably going to get worse before it gets better. Because right now with the different tools that generative AI is providing people, generating junk is becoming easier. It's becoming cheaper. So somebody who used to write 12 clickbait articles a day working for BuzzFeed or whatever replaces BuzzFeed, because BuzzFeed is dead right now, right? Um, now that same person can create 150 articles a day with using ChatGPT as a shortcut to just fill in the paragraphs that they want to write about. Say. And so the amount of junk is going to grow and people still haven't developed their own routine or their own tools to filter mm -hmm. things out. So in some sense, if you're looking for a historic parallel, we are somewhere in this time frame shortly after the printing press was invented, when for the next 200 years, you had completely ridiculous things published and people believed it because they just weren't used to the idea that somebody could write false things in a book, right? And so you had a book that launched the witch hunts in Europe. You had various books that launched inquisitions and holy wars right and people just weren't used to filtering information they thought if it's written in a book it must be true so we're in a similar phase of the internet where a lot of people still think that if it's written online by an outlet they recognize it must be true but it's no longer true it used to be at least some of the time now it's mostly not true but people need to get used to that to start really filtering the junk out of their perception of reality yeah, the problem that also absolutely that I see from this is how unempowered we see ourselves when we cannot discern anymore. If what we are reading, it's actually something that happened even in history or news from other countries or war or things that uh, might be happening there. Is there an actual difference between junk an actual misinformation or false uh, communication. Is, is there a, an actual difference on that? And uh, what are your thoughts about the problem of not being able to discern anymore? Oh, that problem has always existed, right? Intentional disinformation has been a part of the news for a very long time. The thing is, it is pretty expensive to create. And so, yes, occasionally you would read a news story that was faked on purpose very carefully with a big trail or brain crumbs of facts supporting it that are all false. Uh, that doesn't happen very often. It, it happens sometimes, but I don't think that the proportion of these stories has increased over time because it's just as expensive to create it as it used to be. The proportion of things that can be filtered out as junk with just a very superficial glance is growing over time because there's more and more incentive for people to just create things that generate more clicks and views. 
We've been in this click and view economy for 20 years. And so the entire content ecosystem is drifting that way. That's why our focus is more on filtering out the things that are relatively easy to filter out. Let's say the bottom 90% of content, because then we hope that once you're looking at content with slightly higher signal to noise ratio, like you can actually start thinking critically and paying attention to the signs that this might be faked, right? But if you're in this constant mode of elephants blowing bubbles or not elephant blowing bubbles, you're just looking at the superficial filtering using your own mind. I don't think you have the capacity to be in critical thinking mode. It's what Daniel, Daniel Kahneman would separate into system one or system two. We are constantly in system one because so much of what we're seeing is just superficially bad. And so I think we have to filter that out to start really paying attention and thinking critically. Yes, yes. Thank you so much for pointing that. Um, that also, of course, ties with your term that I like, by the way, of sense making and how we can start to, you know, discern and help as well the system by our own filtering system that we can create. So right now we have this generative AI, as you mentioned. We as well like to touch this topic here, and particularly I like to touch on privacy issues and all of these ethics that are super important. Uh, it's a topic that is very relevant right now. So because now we have the ability to create information with these type of tools, how does it tie with trying to change maybe, for example, in the mind of people, the temptation of just creating for the sake of generating huge amounts of content, which is what the system somehow have made us believe that the more content you produce, the more maybe you're going to get attention. How do you feel that we can tackle that, provided that is something that is already in the system and that now we have up even more powerful tool to do that. Right. So I think in general, if you're evaluating every specific person, they might have different motives. But when you look at the population as a whole, populations generally on average tend to just follow their incentives, right? Like every person might not be a rational actor, but people as a whole tend to move towards whatever is incentivized. Or if we talk about it in evolutionary terms, then populations tend to just sort of follow their selected selective pressures, right? And so if the selective pressure on content is maximizing clicks and views, because advertising is how you monetize it and advertise pays, advertising pays per click or per view, then that's what the population is going to do. And if generative AI helps them get more clicks and views, at least temporarily, then they're going to try to do that. And since everybody has access to generative AI, you will just have an arms race. Everybody will try to create more content to at least achieve the same number of clicks and views that they achieved before everybody else started using this, right? The only way that I think we can change that incentive for everybody is by actually changing how advertising pays to the people who create this content, mm -hmm. right? So the crude method is filter on the consumption layer, right? So if many people filter a certain type of content out, that content no longer pays, Therefore, the creator has an incentive to not create it or to create something else instead. A slightly more complicated approach, but it might be more granular and better in some sense, is to actually change how advertisements pay based on what content they appear on. 
So if it's pay-per-click advertising, then perhaps instead of number of clicks times cost per click, the payout should have a third factor in the formula that's, that is called quality of the underlying page. So the same click on the same ad may not need to click to pay the same amount if it appears on a high-quality article on the New York Times versus a low-quality article on BuzzFeed. But for that, we need to get advertisers or at least advertising networks on board. So it might take a while to get there, but it might be a necessary step before we can clean up the Internet in some sense. Yeah, that's great. And by the way, some people might be wondering why at all actually clickbait exists. And I, I think that that's one of the questions that we'd like to answer. Well, I, I, I think I already kind of answered that, right? The basic way that people make money on the internet is by putting advertisements next to content. The advertisements typically pay per click or per view, right? And to get either a click on the ad or a view, you need to get people to that page so they can see the ad, right? So clickbait is just the lowest amount of effort somebody could expend to try to get you to their page. They write a catchy headline. It attracts attention. It sometimes would have a verb in all caps, and that, that verb will be something like destroys or annihilates, right? And then people will click it. They will end up on a page. The page might be garbage. It might just be the same paragraph repeated five times, slightly reworded. It might not have anything to do with the clickbait headline itself, right? But you're already there. You see the ad. Sometimes you click on it. Um, and therefore, whoever wrote that clickbait article makes money. So clickbait is a very rational thing for content creators to do if this is how they monetize their content. And if we want them to stop doing it, we have to change how it's monetized. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Yes, um, the reason why I ask this is because in these other platforms or media that are emerging, because these are immersive technologies as well, XR, virtual reality, augmented reality, Many of these apps that are being created are going to be looking very badly for ways to monetize these new experiences. And there is a potential that is going to be also driven by advertisement. By discussing these and people understanding what are the traditional methods that potentially are going to be transferred for the, to these new media, at least there is more information for developers and designers when they are creating new experiences. So I also think that companies seem to be bad at regulating speech sometimes. Do you think that the government would be any better or that it would have any implication in all of this transition that you're proposing here? So I was born in the Soviet Union where the government regulated speech, and I can assure you it was not any better. And mm -hmm. so my general belief is that Governments are not good at regulating things like that, especially given that typically they are decades behind on understanding what it is that they're regulating. Um, these technologies are moving so fast that I don't think uh, the, let's say, somewhat aging population of Congress can understand exactly what they're supposed to do. I know that in my previous industry in cameras, um, we had some laws that governed our behavior. Let's say there was a law against eavesdropping that said you cannot make a hidden camera that actually records what people are saying. That law was written in 1973. It was not amended, and there was not much case law after that. So we were developing digital cameras trying to guess what the courts would do to interpret the law that was written before digital cameras. 
I think that's what government regulation typically looks like. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't hope that it makes things better in regulating speech on online platforms or especially in VR or something AI related. My belief is that the best way to regulate an ecosystem is to create the right incentives in it. And then people act rationally in their own self-interest and it happens to be aligned with what is good for everybody. And so I think we need to spend some thought on what that looks like to create good incentives for people. You mentioned, I guess, the equivalent of clickbait in VR. We already see the equivalent of clickbait in YouTube, let's say, when the thumbnail for a video often includes some very attractive woman that does not appear in the video itself. So that is also a form of clickbait. Mm -hmm. I assume VR will have an even more advanced version of the same thing. Uh, maybe very attractive women in 3D, and then you click on it, and it turns out that you know this is just a bloopers video of somebody playing basketball. It happens all the time. I'm sure it will happen there as well. The question is, how do we create a disincentive for it? The platform itself is not going to regulate it unless they make money if they regulate it, and they don't make money if they don't. Government will not even understand what that is and how to tell whether the thumbnail matches the content or not. So we have to create good incentives for everybody. Yeah. So I see that you have something very interesting, and now we're transitioning a little bit onto other world. Uh, and is that you have created something very original, which is the idea or the concept that we worry about our physical health And therefore, when we buy products in the store, we check the nutritional facts to see if there are maybe any potential um, elements there that maybe we don't agree with and don't want to buy. So it seems that you have created the same system for consuming this digital media. And I'm super excited that if you could please expand on what this is about And what early results have you been of people being a little bit more aware of this use of elements in digital media? Yeah, so let me kind of take a step back. I think what you're talking about is the platform we have, which is called OtherWeb. You can see it on otherweb.com or you can download the Android or iOS apps. And the basic idea behind it is that we aggregate content from all over the web, news, commentary, podcasts, research studies, etc., Then we filter out things that trigger obvious red flags, things that are obviously junk. And we try to let people configure what they see in what order and have some things that they can use to filter things before consuming them. The benefit of the way that our food system works, even though it's not perfect, is that you can decide whether you want to consume something before you consume it, right? So nutrition labels, which is what you mentioned, right? That's just one of the tools we have to look at a product and decide, do I want to eat this? Right? And it gives you some information. Um, on the internet until now, for the most part, the only way to decide whether something is good for you was to consume the whole thing. And then maybe you'll realize, oh, this was actually pretty bad. But it's too late. So we wanted to give people tools to recognize that a little earlier. Um, so we created the nutrition label for every article that appears on our platform that tells you how subjective it is, whether the tone is formal or informal, whether we recognize any known propaganda techniques being used in that article. There's 20 different things that we could measure relatively scientifically. By the way, whether the headline is clickbait or not is one of them. Um, and that's just one of the tools, but there are many others. Um, we started recently classifying articles based on what emotions they're likely to trigger 
in the reader mm. so that you can now configure our feed and say, I want it to be slightly less infuriating and slightly more hopeful, please. Uh, or maybe the opposite. We don't know what your preferences are, but I, we think it's pretty useful for you to be able to express your preferences rather than some black box algorithm just deciding what you're more likely to click on because maybe that's not what you want to consume long term. That's absolutely great. That's a, such a good, you know, tool brought to the world where now the user, and I'm just speaking from the design point of view, the user and all of the design thinking system that we have in design and all of these things actually are supposed to help us create absolute experiences that are human-centric. But when we go and see is it is just that the technology pretty much decides what is what we should be seeing or consuming or interacting with. But I think that what you just said, it makes more sense from that human, real human-centric approach where we are the ones who decide and we have freedom to actually decide through filters and all of this. So this is a fascinating example of how this is used and how we can actually even bring it to other media let's say mixed reality, virtual reality, etc. I'd be excited to see all of these platforms in other in other media and of course uh, spread more on uh, so people can use it. It seems that it has different outlets as well, not only just news, but there are also podcasts and other platforms. Is that correct? Yeah, we're trying to expand and include as much content as possible. News is still our flagship product just because it's much easier for people to tell the difference between good, high-quality news and bad, low-quality news, right? So it's easier for us to use the news to as an example of why we're different. But, yeah, the idea is to bring in as much different content as possible onto one platform. We'll probably add social elements eventually as well, um, at least comments, but maybe something else. And see really you know, what people want to consume in the long run. Now, I want to mention one more thing because you talked about human-centric systems and how they're trying to maximize the decision-making of people to decide what they consume, or at least they're supposed to. I want to caution you also to consider that at different time horizons, people decide different things. Like I might decide that I want to eat salad every day for the next year, but if you offer me cake right now, I might decide to eat the cake anyway, mm-hmm. right? And so our decisions in the moment are very different from our decisions in the long run. Uh, in the long run, we try to maximize our higher self, so to speak. Whereas in the moment, we don't have much willpower and we make really bad decisions. So our approach has been to try to let people control what they will consume in the long run, because that's what they think is good for them. Whereas what a platform like TikTok would do, let's say, is try to measure what you react to in real time and just give you more of that. So if you react to cake and not to kale, you'll get cake all the time. Uh, whereas we're going to actually ask you, like, what proportion of cake to kale do you want in your diet? And if you say at least 80% kale, then we will try to get you that. Um, we don't know what percentage of users will respond positively to that, but we hope it's high because we have high hopes for humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, do you have any plans to incorporate any other evolutions of this actual idea of this platform or incorporating other platforms or something like that? Or what are your plans for the future? 
So for now, we are still fairly focused on text-based things. Um, so I know that you're interested in VR and things like that. That's far away into the future because unfortunately, the models that evaluate that are much more complicated than models that evaluate text. So right now we're fairly focused on natural language processing as the primary filtering mechanism, or at least as the primary editor of content. Um, but anything that is text-based, we will incorporate into the platform at some point. And beyond that, once a sufficient number of people actually consume information through our platform, then we will probably expand to the other stages and the content life cycle, so to speak. So content needs to be created, it needs to be distributed, it needs to be consumed, and then it is monetized somehow, right? We think that content creators that write articles, let's say, they might want a tool that gives them real-time feedback as they're composing, whether this headline is clickbait or not, right, for example. And so it could be a Grammarly-like tool in that sense. Um, the people who are advertising on content might want real-time indication on what content this might appear on, and they might want to be able to vary the payouts that they give to the content creator, to the publisher. And so that might be in the form of a data stream to advertising networks or of a new advertising network. So we will probably expand to these other stages of the content lifecycle. Um, but right now, the first thing we need to do is to prove that people care. And mm -hmm. for that, we need to show that there's a large number of people that made a conscious choice to stop consuming the junk that they get on the most popular platforms right now and switch to something that is for now less popular but allows them to consume higher quality content. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for expanding exactly on how that that would work. And while it seems a little bit obvious, I wonder if you could help us to specifically clarify or paint a picture into the future of what would be the risk if we don't do anything? Well, I think that we have a beautiful machine between our ears, right? It is great at processing information. Sometimes it makes mistakes, but on the whole, it's pretty good. But if you feed it mostly nonsense, then there's no way that this machine can produce good outputs in the form of good actions, right? So if humans consume garbage, their actions will be garbage over time. And... I'm worried that if our actions are garbage, but we have nukes and all sorts of other destructive technologies at our disposal, then it's going to look pretty ugly. So I mentioned the invention of the printing press before. There were 52 religious wars all over Europe. There were witch hunts. There were inquisitions. And all of that was because people were misinformed. And so they were acting out that misinformation. Um, Right now, we have nukes. So I don't want to go through 200 years of that before we get to the next enlightenment. I'd like to try to help bring about the next enlightenment earlier. Um, so yes. that means we need to give people better tools to filter out the junk. Yeah, amazing. Does any of in your personal involvement or development or anything have actually informed you to take these actions? I'm curious to know how much of your person, human, philosophy, or something specifically that you follow that have prompted you to create this? So I think you can guess by the writing behind me what philosophy I oh. follow, but I don't think it's entirely related. I would say one of the things that made me personally very interested in this is that I've just been an information junkie for a very long time. Like I've always read a lot, many different sources in parallel. Um, it's 
maybe just being a speed reader and having good memory and liking to consume a lot of content has just been with me for decades. And so at some point, it just became evident that content is changing. Things are really becoming worse over time. And it wasn't clear to me at first why. But it was pretty obvious that the things that you see in good, respectable news outlets today would never be published 20 years ago. And so I started investigating why. What changed for them? Like, why does CNN publish the sort of nonsense it publishes now? If 20 years ago, that would never have passed editorial review. And it seemed like that incentive for clicks and views has been the corrupting force for at least the past 20 years. It probably existed before to some extent, but before that, people didn't have that perfect feedback mechanism of whether or not an ad worked in a particular instance. Now the feedback is instantaneous. And so the person writing the the content can immediately incorporate it into their content. Um, I don't know if many of our listeners know this, but the vast majority of online outlets right now actually publish an article typically with five or six headlines. And within the first hour, they select which one wins. And that that's the one that appears and everybody sees it. But initially, when an article just gets published, you and I might see different headlines because they're testing us. They're testing which one we're clicking. And so that's how you get perfect clickbait, right? Mm-hmm. They actually publish many different versions, and the one that gets the most clicks wins. That didn't used to be the case 20 years ago. But... It just took me down this rabbit hole of exploring why do people do this until it became obvious what we have to do to counteract it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a a great way to explain us how, you know, this this actually system works. I'm pretty sure this is going to happen the same in other type of media and other type of platforms if if they are evolving more over the years alternatively with also AI. So this is a very important reflection for us to have right now on to what type of resources are there available? Because first of all, we might think that we're absolutely alone in this uh, maybe idea that somehow sparked one day that we were browsing and we thought, oh, I wonder if there is something that maybe is going to help me to go out of the rat race in which I am right now consuming all of this. And sometimes we might feel alone, but actually platforms like yours uh, with other web really can help us to interact with maybe information that is vetted or that maybe is filtered that we can make better decisions at deciding what is what we would like to engage with at certain point. So it seems that the web is available in as an app and also in the web, right? You have many, yeah. many options there. Yeah, so it's a website, it's Android and iOS apps, and it's a newsletter that you can sign up for on the website. Um, but I also wanted to mention, we are not the only ones trying to tackle this problem. So yeah. I view all of us as fighting on the same side. Yes. So I'm not insisting that people download specifically the other web. If you like ground mm-hmm. news, it's also pretty good. If you like allsides.com, it's also pretty good. So any website that helps you kind of avoid this left-right division and tries to help you focus on the up or down axis is a website that I consider a friend. Yes, yes. It's definitely, we're discussing this today because around the complete philosophy and the reflections that it can have in us. It's through these type of interactions that we start to understand better and 
try to bring more of these habits into our lives, actually. So when we don't feel alone, we feel that, oh, there is more people that have been thinking about this. And we always thought that it was just me. But yeah, well, that's... Let, let me give you a data point on that. The last stat I've seen is that 42% of American adults are consciously avoiding the news. That just tells you how bad things are, right? Mm. It, it's not just that we're not alone. We are in such a bad situation that almost half of American adults gave up. Right? So mm. you're definitely not alone. If you think that something is broken in this ecosystem, you're in the majority. Yeah, for sure. Yes, thank you. Yeah, so is there any place where people can check your staff or get in contact with you or any... Any potential partnerships that, how does it work if a media outlet wants to join the movement or the platform and put their information buried there? Is, is there such a thing or, or you, uh, filter them yourself? How does it yeah, work? So right now we just manage the scraping list ourselves. So yeah. if an outlet wants to be on it and mm-hmm. we haven't found about them yet, then they can contact us. Uh, we're still a startup, so there is no big systems for things, right? Yeah. People who want to get in touch with me, mm-hmm. you can email alex at otherweb.com. Mm-hmm. And I promise mm-hmm. that I will check it out and reply. Yeah. Um, if you just want to consume content through our platform, that's pretty easy as well. Mm-hmm. We're actually working on news widgets that people can embed in their own websites if they want to that include mm-hmm. free content from our platform where they can configure yeah. basically I want this much politics, this much sports, this much entertainment, and we will generate a custom feed for them that they can include in their own website or anywhere else they want. Um, so I think the link to that is also on otherweb.com in, in the footer mm-hmm. if you want to try to play around with generating that kind of custom news uh, widget for yourself. Um, yeah. We think it might even be useful for more niche news. Like you can actually generate a feed just with things that involve the keyword VR for example. Yes, 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 for sure. I was making a, a test of the specific news, like I, I use the filters and I remove everything that was about politics and everything, and I just left the one from tech. I was browsing about that. It seems super great. I'm recommending anybody to check it out, of course. I think that is um, a super amazing tool. As you mentioned, there might be other tools. Anybody's free to check out. It's more about this reflection and this awareness of how we're interacting with all of this content that is right now in the world and that there are options for us to decide how we want this to be presented and used for ourselves. Yeah, that's been a great conversation. Is there anything that you wish I had asked you today, Alex? Um, I would just want to leave our listeners with one final parting message for me, which is that The algorithms think a lot, so we should think a little bit too if we want to counteract it. We need to be more mindful about what it is that we're putting in our brain, right? We we pay attention to what we put in our mouth, right? We're always kind of trying to pick the healthier foods to eat. So I think we should use at least as much caution with selecting what we put in our brain and really be more mindful and plan a little bit. Yes, yes, for sure. You mentioned a word that I like a lot, which is mindful. So I believe that if we start to maybe try to engage a little bit with mindful habits, which are part of this, wondering ourselves, bringing this attention onto what we are doing, mindless browsing, 
Is it healthy? I'm bringing those questions into our daily life as habits. Maybe that can help us also to make other realizations and, bear, and make better decisions in terms of the content and how we engage with that. Yes, that's exciting. Thank you so much, Alex, for this amazing episode today. Definitely we yep. learn a lot from even um, your, your uh, creation, your app, um, other web, and also from your philosophy, all this terminology, we're going to leave it there in the description so people get a little more familiar. But yeah, it's uh, great to have this type of deeper understanding or deeper reflection onto an activity that seems very natural for us for the everyday. Thank you so much. And please, if you are watching or listening to this episode, please consider sharing it to a friend or family member that you feel that it might be very beneficial. I think that this is a matter for everyone. So don't hesitate. And if you have any questions, please reach out to Alex or myself. Thank you so much and see you in the next episode. Bye for now.